I suspect that this moment in which the trappings of the church have disappeared like the emperor's new clothes and our assumption of respectability discarded, I suspect this moment presents an opportunity for Christian people to more effectively reach out to those who have felt that the church makes no difference in their lives or in the world, an opportunity to have us be the kind of people Jesus would have us to be. That's the Reverend Dalton Rushing, and today he shares a life-giving message of faith called Respectability or Faithfulness. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dalton Rushing, Senior Pastor of Decatur First United Methodist Church in Decatur, Georgia. Before coming to Decatur First in 2017, he served at North Decatur and Johns Creek United Methodist Churches. Dalton is a graduate of Memphis University School, Birmingham Southern College, and earned his Master of Divinity from Candler School of Theology at Embry University in Atlanta, where he is a teaching supervisor in contextual education. And I'm delighted to announce that starting next week, Dalton will be serving as a guest host. Dalton, welcome to Day One. I'm delighted to be here. You were last with us just over two years ago, and you've served as senior pastor of Decatur First United Methodist since 2017. It's a thriving church in downtown Decatur. What do you like to tell people about your church? I love to share the ways in which Decatur First United Methodist Church is a brave church. Mm. The church has taken stands as necessary, has continued to reach out in love, has been a leader both in the denomination, in the city, in the community. I love these people. Mm. And I'm sure it's mutual. Of course, in these six years, we've all experienced a lot of disruption and change, including the pandemic. How well do you think the church has navigated all that? It's a hard season for every church. It's a hard season for every person. Yeah. Um, but finding new ways to do ministry has been strangely life-giving. Hmm. I have discovered during the pandemic that I am constitutionally incapable of caring about things that don't matter. <laughs> and I've found that the church feels similarly. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to uh, focus on the things that matter and discard the things that don't has been really life-giving because people are drawn to things that matter. Mm -hmm. So I would not have wished this season on my worst enemy. I just, as one of my colleagues at the church likes to say, am certain that God doesn't cause these kinds of things, but God doesn't waste them either. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those things that matter, some of the ministries and mission activities that have you excited for the future? The church has been known for a long time for its music and worship, which mm -hmm. is fantastic, and it continues to be fantastic. The church has also recently been given another physical campus a couple of miles down the road, uh, and so we're spending a lot of time talking about what to do with it. It's a lot of work to talk about what to mm. do with it. It's also really exciting to dream about new ways that we can serve the community. We're in conversation about beginning a food co-op. We are uh, talking uh, with a number of organizations about other social services that need to be offered in the city, all while continuing to focus on worship. 
I like that the church takes both sides of that coin very seriously. Mm-hmm. You're also very involved in forming the next generation of pastors and preachers as an ordination candidacy mentor in the United Methodist Church and as contextual teaching supervisor at Emory's Candler School of Theology. Why is that an important part of your ministry? Church leadership is vital. It's as important as it has ever been, and we are in a season of disruption and Mm. distraction. (laughs) And as a result, if we're not careful, we're going to lose out on a generation of church leaders that both need the church and that the church needs. So if I can model in any way that this work is deeply important, then I want to be able to do that. I'm also really energized by the folks that I'm seeing come through. They're, uh, they come in clear-eyed about what the church is and isn't, mm-hmm. and uh, they know that things are changing, and they're able to navigate that really well. It gives me a lot of energy. Your wife, Stacy is also a United Methodist pastor who serves as director of the Housing and Homeless Council of the North Georgia Conference. What does her work involve? The Housing and Homeless Council of the North Georgia Conference offers grants particularly to United Methodist churches and related agencies that work in the area of homelessness and homelessness prevention. What I like about this organization, besides the fact that they do physical good work, is that because they work with churches in particular, they help the church be the church, which is not always easy to do. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, our listeners will be hearing your voice as an interim guest host until the new Day One leadership team is ready to move forward. And I know you'll do a wonderful job, but what are your thoughts about doing this? I appreciate your confidence there. (laughs) I have long, deeply, deeply admired the ministry of Day One. Not only is it a ministry which uh, holds up the importance of preaching in the life Mm -hmm. of the church, which is important, it's a ministry which has shared a loving, gospel-centered, grace-driven message for generations. Mm. There is no time in my own life where that message is more important than now. As the church charts a new course and speaks gracious truth in a culture that deeply needs it, I am so honored to be able to participate in this way. Mm. Well, Dalton, your sermon today draws from the gospel text from Matthew chapter 23. Would you read it for us? I'd be glad to. This is Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. The legal experts and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, you must take care to do everything they say, but don't do what they do, for they tie together heavy packs that are impossible to carry. They put them on the shoulders of others, but are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do, they do to be noticed by others. They make extra-wide prayer bands for their arms and long tassels for their clothes. They love to sit in places of honor at banquets and in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with honor in the markets and to be addressed as rabbi. But you shouldn't be called rabbi, because you have one teacher, and all of you are brothers and sisters. Don't call anybody on earth your father, because you have one father who is heavenly. Don't be called teacher, because Christ is your one teacher. But the one who is greatest among you will be your servant. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, but all who make themselves low will be lifted up. So Jesus tells the crowds and his disciples to do what these religious leaders say, but not what they do. What stood out for you here as you prepared your sermon? There is quite an allure to the 
importance of being a pastor mm. or a church leader, even being a Christian. Mm-hmm. I do believe that the business of being the church is the most important thing in the whole world and that no other institution gets to claim that. But it doesn't mean that we are better than anyone else. If there is a message that is needed at this point in the life of the culture, it is that while that institution is deeply important, it is also humble, it is open, and it desires nothing but to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Well, Dalton, we look forward to hearing your sermon about this called Respectability or Faithfulness. Thanks for sharing it with us. My pleasure. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program with Dalton Rushing with an extended interview, you can subscribe to Day One Weekly Program on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110. Peter, before I preach the sermon, let me start my guest hosting early and ask you, what's next for you? What parting words do you have for us? Ah, well, thanks for asking. I'm going to take it easy for a while, visit family and friends, then maybe do some writing and traveling. And as an Episcopal priest, I'll now have the opportunity to get more involved serving in a church, I hope. But let me say something to you, dear listener. It's been my honor and my joy to share with you week after week these wonderful and life-giving messages from America's outstanding preachers. I've loved working with each one of them, and I hope you found insights and inspiration from their sermons that have helped you walk more closely with God and fall more in love with Jesus. I'm so grateful for our steadfast team, Donald Jones, our director of production and longtime recording engineer, and Ethelware Carter, our stellar administrative assistant, our board of trustees led by Dr. Jennifer Friday, our amazing Day One Advisory Council chaired by Dr. Tom Long, and all our preachers over the past 22 years that I've worked with. They have been incredibly generous with their wisdom and support and hard work, and I'm grateful for them all. And I'm pleased to announce that the Reverend Dr. Katie Givens Kime, our project director of the Lilly Endowment Vital Preaching Resources Project at Day One, will be serving till year end as our interim executive director. But I can't tell you what an honor it's been to follow in the footsteps of our previous hosts over our 78 years of weekly broadcasts as the Protestant Hour and Day One. Don Elliott Heald, Skip Schudig, and Rick Dietrich. And so, dear friends, thank you for listening. Keep listening for what's next for Day One. I'm praying for you, and I ask for your prayers as I enter this new phase of my life. God bless you. Some years ago, as an experiment, instead of giving up chocolate or alcohol for the 40 days of the season of Lent, I decided to give up my anonymity, which is to say I spent most of that 40 days wearing a black clergy shirt and a white clerical collar everywhere I went. I am a United Methodist pastor, and my denomination does have a tradition of clergy wearing collars, but it isn't super common. 
Certainly there are fewer collars in United Methodist churches than you'll find in Lutheran or Episcopal churches or, most famously, Roman Catholic churches. As a result, it was a unique experience for me to wear the collar to the grocery store or the gas station, the funeral home, and the school lobby. I especially loved it when I was out with my two elementary-aged daughters, each holding my hand as puzzled passers-by who associated the collar with Roman Catholic priests tried to square their understanding of a celibate priesthood with the existence of my cute children. It wasn't just these folks who gawked, however. During those 40 days, I had a keen awareness that people treated me differently than they did on days when I wore street clothes. It's not that they treated me better, just different. For every person who held the door open for me and called me father, someone else would sneer and walk away, as if I had insulted their mother or kicked their dog. The look I got most often, though, was one of distinct indifference. I do not mean people looked at me and then looked away, as one does to strangers on the street. I mean, and I don't believe I'm projecting here, people looked at me with a look that said, you have nothing to offer me. And then they went about their business. It was an instructive Lent for me. Because as a professional Christian, I forget sometimes what the church looks like from the outside. I remember the first house my wife and I moved into. It was a rental. And the day we moved in, we noticed that in the guest bedroom someone had knocked a basketball-sized hole into the drywall and then covered it with duct tape and painted over it. It was not a small hole. And then we lived in that house for three years. And you know the next time I noticed that duct tape-covered hole? It was on the day I moved out. It's amazing how quickly we get acclimated to our surroundings and assume that they're normal. It becomes difficult to properly assess how things are going on inside the church doors when one of the things going on inside the church doors is you. For Christians, this dynamic can be a difficult one to navigate. The world is changing. The church is changing. As with the last two millennia worth of Christians, we've all got to figure out how to be faithful in this new age. And I have to be honest. I am starting to wonder if the indifference might actually present an opportunity. I wonder if there is something of this dynamic that could be used for good. I should qualify what I mean. It isn't fun to be in the mix in this time of change, and I deeply wish all people were as impressed with the gospel of Jesus Christ as I am. But then, I don't actually think that the indifference is about the gospel per se. I suspect the indifference is toward those who tie together heavy packs that are impossible to carry and then put them on the shoulders of others, but are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. I suspect the indifference is towards those who do everything in order to be noticed by others, those who make extra-wide prayer bands for their arms and long tassels for their clothes, those who love to sit in places of honor at banquets and in the markets who wear a cloak of respectability. I suspect the indifference is about people who look like me.
I don't think the indifference is actually about the gospel. Because when I read this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, it makes me think that Jesus isn't concerned with respectability at all. It makes me think that Jesus is concerned with faithfulness, not exquisite vestments, not obsequious behavior towards the clergy, not even the respectability of the church, but faithfulness to his mission of making disciples, reaching the lost, raising up the lowly, and transforming the world for love. This is not a new problem. The founder of my religious tradition of Methodism, John Wesley, famously kept meticulous journals of his ministry exploits. And in 1739, he documented a trip to Bristol, England, during which he was to share the gospel message with the people there. Instead of preaching in a church or some similarly respectable place, Wesley wrote this on April 2nd of that year, quote, At four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile and proclaimed in the highways the glad tidings of salvation. I submitted to be more vile. What Wesley meant was that the gospel message gets its power from the power of Christ, not the trappings of the church. And so it was that he started preaching in fields and debtors' prisons and mining camps. He preached anywhere anybody would listen, particularly in communities full of people who would never think to step foot inside a church. Now, I lament the decline in church-going in my home country of the United States just as much as anybody. I am sad about the rise of those who declare no religious tradition at all. But I do wonder if this moment presents the Church of Jesus Christ with an opportunity to get back to first principles, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I preach in a robe and stole most Sundays, after all. But to remember that Jesus cares much less about what we wear on the outside and much more about what is written upon our hearts. But not only do I think this moment presents an opportunity to refocus, I suspect that this moment in which the trappings of the church have disappeared like the emperor's new clothes and the old fairy tale, I suspect this moment in which our extra-wide prayer bands have been removed and our assumption of respectability discarded, I suspect this moment presents an opportunity for Christian people to more effectively reach out to those who have felt that the church makes no difference in their lives or in the world, an opportunity to have us be the kind of people Jesus would have us to be. In his book, The Beauty of Dusk, On Vision Lost and Found, the New York Times columnist Frank Bruni talks about the ways in which his perspective on life has changed following a stroke which cut off blood to his right eye, rendering him blind in that eye, and with the real possibility that the same thing might happen on his left. That kind of news will rock a person, you know? And yet if you saw him on the street, you would not know what he was up against, just as we do not know what so many people are up against in their own personal lives. Bruni describes what he calls, quote, the sandwich board theory of life. He writes, Imagine that each of us donned a sandwich board, which itemized all our internal problems, our pain, our demons, our challenges, all of it. I wonder what you would write on your sandwich board. Navigating an anxiety disorder, maybe. 
struggling with aging parents perhaps, or divorced from an unfaithful spouse, or damaged from some long-ago abuse. Maybe it would list an invisible disease that not everyone knows you're dealing with, or an addiction, or the challenges of an unfulfilling job, or a tricky relationship with a child. It would certainly list the sources of your grief. The point, Bruni says, is that if others could see on the outside what we are dealing with on the inside, they would inevitably give us more grace, forgive the small lapses, as we would inevitably do for others. It would be an exercise in compassion and vulnerability, and my God, does the world need more compassion and vulnerability. This is just me talking, but I don't think I'm advocating for you to put on an actual sandwich board or to take a magic marker to your church clothes. But I do wonder if the cloak of respectability we've wrapped the church in is less a cloak and more a shroud. I wonder what it would look like if we removed the armor we put on in order to keep from having to actually deal with those silent pains and demons. I wonder what it would be like if the Church of Jesus Christ worried less about looking respectable and worried more about being honest in our groping for the love of God. We've got work to do if we're going to follow Jesus' command in this chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, but there is a gift in the work. For if we as Christ's holy church, each of us in our homes, our communities, our schools, our places of business, and yes, even in our church buildings, if we can stop worrying so much about looking like we have it all together and instead embrace the kind of vulnerability that connects each person in the world, religious or not, with every other person in the world and as a result with the heart of God, if we can embrace that vulnerability that comes when we are genuine about our faults and our pain, if we can follow the advice of the great theologian Howard Thurman who writes, if I hear the sound of the genuine in me and if you hear the sound of the genuine in you, it is possible for me to go down in me and come up in you. If we can do that, God will be glorified, for we will be more accurate versions of the people God created us to be, more honest, more open, more faithful. After all, I'm reminded that the Gospel of Luke records that Christ was made known not in the mending of the bread, but in its breaking. Let us pray. Gracious God, forgive us for the times in which we have dressed our faith up in fancy clothes and false respectability. Instead, help us to model the kind of faith that demonstrates that we are people who have been created by the good God, people who are broken, yes, but people who are being healed so that we may share the gift of that healing with a world just as broken as we are, just as much in need of God's grace, and just as close to God's own heart. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Dalton Rushing, Senior Pastor of Decatur First United Methodist Church in Decatur, Georgia. And beginning next week, Dalton will be serving as our interim guest host for the next few months.
For a free transcript of his message today, Respectability or Faithfulness, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day One. 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. And to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more, visit us online at dayone.org. Keep in mind that Day One depends on the generous donations of our faithful listeners. Please send your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or donate online at dayone.org. And thank you. I'm Peter Wallace. Next time on Day One, Dalton Rushing welcomes the Reverend Rory Nave, pastor of First Baptist Church of Oak Ridge, Tennessee. His inspiring message is titled, The Parable of the Ten Girl Scouts. Be sure to be listening next week on Day One. Now, our Day One preacher, Dalton Rushing, shares some final reflections on his sermon today, Respectability or Faithfulness. And Dalton, you've given us church people much to prayerfully ponder here. You shared your Lenten experience of wearing your clerical collar everywhere you went and the distinct indifference you sensed from some people as though they felt you as a representative of the church had nothing to offer them. And as you pointed out, the world is changing, the church is changing, and we must figure out how to be faithful in this new age so that those we encounter know we have something to offer them in Jesus Christ. Jesus, you said, didn't seem to be concerned with respectability at all, but faithfulness in transforming the world for love. What are your thoughts about how we move into living that sort of faithful life? Well, as you said, Jesus is a great example here. He associated with people who needed help, which is just about all of us. Mm. I am struck that I received looks of indifference more than I received looks of uh, even distress or pain or frustration, which is a huge indictment of the Mm. church. This is the most important message in the world, the most important institution in the world. It is life and world-changing, and yet people look at us as if it doesn't matter. Mm. It Mm -hmm. matters deeply. The church is called to this work because we carry with us the message of salvation, not just individually, but for the world, for the world to be transformed in love. Mm. You said Jesus cares much less about what we wear on the outside and much more about what is written on our heart, that Jesus desires a heart of compassion and vulnerability, of understanding what people are struggling with in their lives so that we might serve them more authentically. How do we take off the shroud of respectability, the protective armor, so that we can serve more compassionately? It is the hardest thing in the whole world. I mean, literally the hardest thing. I I have this image, and I hope it's not too gory in my mind, of walking around with our heart outside our chest. Mm. This is what vulnerability requires. Your chest cage keeps it safe. And if we are to be vulnerable, we've got to meet people where they are, and we've got to hold our hearts and our hands and meet people who are holding their hearts Mm. and their hands. The bad news is that is extremely difficult. The good news is it is extremely life giving. Vulnerability is the key, is the key. It's not easy, particularly for church leaders. I don't think it's easy for anybody Mm. because it leaves us open to strike. And yet, 
in my life, when I have been willing to be vulnerable, which is not easy, when I've been willing to be vulnerable, I have discovered the presence of God. And that is the only thing that I desire. Mm -hmm. Dalton, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I hope it's a sermon of hope, that things are not as bad as they seem, that life is hard, ministry is hard, uh, church is hard, everything's hard. It seems like it's harder these days. And yet, if we are willing to do the difficult work of being open and vulnerable and faithful and honest, God will bless that work every time. I've discovered that uh, the only prayer that God says yes to every time is the earnest prayer of God, use me. Mm. Amen. Dalton Rushing, thank you for being with us. And we'll all be listening as you guest host day one next week. Thanks so much, Peter. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. <laughs>